Uh, I'm going to take a break from my series on the Holy Spirit this morning and just talk to you a little bit about Thanksgiving. Um, Rose Beter gave me, I suppose, three, four weeks ago, um, a, a magazine uh, from Kenneth Hagen Ministries, and uh, she did that because the subject was timely, was on the Holy Spirit, and, um, and there were some great articles in that. And I was glad to get it. But in that magazine, Lynn um, Hagen writes a regular column called Seed Thoughts. And uh, so she writes every every magazine on some something uh, to get people thinking. And, and that one was on Thanksgiving. And as I read it, well, I thought that is the seed thought actually for my Thanksgiving message. And so I want to give credit there. Um, she wrote that our lives become so filled with stress and schedules and all of that that you and I tend to forget the positive things that we have in life. Just because we're, you know, we're, we're, we just go from one thing to the next and we've got the stress and the schedule and, and something else going on and that's what we're focused on and we, we forget the positive things that we have going in our life. So, she said, and she went on to amplify that, and she said, you know, we forget, we see the negative things in, in our family members and the people that we live with and all of that, and we forget to see the positive things. And then she said, and we also see what's wrong with us, and we don't remember that God said that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And, it, you know, he's, he's got a purpose in, in our lives and all of that. And then she said some years ago, she fractured a shoulder. And as a result of that, really only had use of one arm. And she wasn't supposed to move that shoulder. And she did not realize just how many things in life you can't do with one arm missing. And she said, you know, on, um, you can... Look up there and imagine her trying to curl her hair with one arm <laughs> or um, tie her shoes or button her clothes or, or all those kind of things that until you've been injured, you don't stop and think about. Well, I listened uh, early this week to the story of Martin Pistorius as he shared it by typing it on his computer and the computer uh, made a voice out of it. And uh, Martin Pistorius was born and raised in South Africa and now lives in Britain. But he went to school one day when he was 12 years old and he came home with a sore throat. And he stopped eating just real soon after that, started sleeping almost around the clock, and then stopped communicating at all. And eventually... A brain infection st stripped him of any movement whatsoever, paralyzed him even down to his eyeballs so that he had no control of anything in his body. Everyone assumed that he was in a deep coma, that he was totally unaware of anything happening in his life, but he wasn't. He was still very much conscious uh, through all of that. The last words Martin ever spoke with his regular voice were the words in the hospital, want home. That was when he was 12. 
For the next 10 years, he was absolutely trapped in a body that he had absolutely no way to communicate with anyone regarding anything. It didn't matter if he was in pain, it didn't matter what was happening, he could not communicate anything to anyone. His personality was completely hidden. Nobody thought he was even aware of what was happening around him. His parents wore themselves out caring for him as he grew. Um, Their friends began to just drift away because they were so preoccupied with him. And they didn't know it, but he was very conscious of that. They took turns waking up every two hours, every night, to roll him and to move him, hoping that he wouldn't get bed sores. He went to a daycare where eventually he suffered physical, verbal, and sexual abuse almost on a daily basis. And when his dad would pick him up at night, it was the happiest part of the day for him. But he had no way to tell his dad what was happening at the daycare. He expected to live that way the rest of his life. He expected that no one would ever show him love or tenderness or compassion. He couldn't move. He couldn't speak. And there he was, still conscious of everything going on in his life. He said the worst thing was the absolute powerlessness that he lived in every moment of his life. He having no control over anything. Anyone could do anything to him, whether, and he had no way to even tell him whether it was good or bad. When he needed a drink of water, he had no way to communicate that. He would be positioned during the day watching Barney and friends, even though he was getting into his adult years. They didn't know if he could understand or if he was even watching it or any of that. He said the very worst thing of his day was watching Barney and friends because Barney was so happy and so purple. And he was so unhappy and so miserable. And day after day, he was propped up in front of Barney and friends. (laughs) But his brain began to heal itself after 10 years, little by little. He spent years just wishing somebody would notice that he was coming back to life. But nobody saw it for the longest time. And finally, there was a caregiver, a home health nurse that came in and began to be convinced that he was having little eye movements and that he could actually communicate. And so she encouraged his parents and they sent him to a special place where they worked with him and and taught him how to communicate and and all of that just with his eyes and, and they began to work on other things and technology and all of that. Today, Martin Pistorius is still in a wheelchair. And he's also married. And I believe, since this picture, I believe they've even had a little uh, boy. Um, And he's written a book, Ghost Boy, The Miraculous Escape of a Misdiagnosed Boy Trapped Inside of His Own Body. But he says everything that he can do today, and he's still very limited, but everything he can do today He can do because he can communicate. He said, basically, if I couldn't communicate at all, I couldn't do any of the stuff that I can do today. 
And so he is most thankful that he can communicate with his eyes, but also that he could type his words. And a computer can project them in in vocal sounds that we can hear and understand and all of that. And so I want to say, first of all today, that there are lots of things that you and I experience day after day, and we don't even realize what we have to be thankful for. (laughs) No matter what we're going through, none of us would want to be Martin. We have so much. You and I can communicate in a number of ways. Maybe we're not fluent or efficient at certain different kinds of ways, but he went for a decade without being able to communicate even the the smallest need in any way. Science tells us that there are a number of benefits to thanksgiving, to being grateful and all of that. One of them is that grateful people tend to be healthier. Now, it would be pretty easy for me and for you to say, well, duh, healthy people ought to be thankful. (laughs) But it's actually the reverse of that that is also true. Studies have shown that when people actually begin to write down and list and verbalize things that they are grateful for, that it actually improves their health and the way that they feel about their health. Some studies have even shown that thankfulness improves improves cholesterol and blood pressure and lowers the risk of depression and anxiety and all of those kind of things. One of the other things that... Uh, Grateful, science tells us, is grateful people tend to be happier. Dr. Robert Emmons, a psychologist from the University of of California, authored a program, it's called um, Great Gratitude Works, a 20-day one program uh, for creating emotional prosperity. Don't you love that word, emotional prosperity? I mean, when you think of prosperity, we don't think of emotions and all of that. But just think, how how many of us wouldn't want a life of emotional prosperity? I love that word, that, that, that phrase that he coined. And basically what he says in that study is that gratitude creates emotional prosperity in our life. It causes... Um, well-being, it curbs depression, Uh, it does those kind of things. Philip Watkins, a psychologist at the um, Eastern Washington University, says, when you look at personality traits and values or virtues that correlate strongly with people's happiness, gratitude is always in the top three of those characteristics and traits, if it's not the first one. It is the characteristic or trait that most you find in most people who are just genuinely happy. One of the researchers even has um, said that gratitude boomerangs. When you give gratitude, it actually makes you more grateful. If you write a thank you note, it increases your own gratitude. Uh, being thankful for your own resources or abilities or brilliance um, is not near as effective, by the way, as being thankful for what someone else does or what God does. 
for you. Um, and by the way, just something else um, that I just read this week is that you know something that we don't think much about anymore in our culture, but young people say that one of the most valuable things that they get is an actually a handwritten thank you note. Because in their culture, they don't ever see that. They might get an email. They might get a, you know, a pat on the back. They might do a number of things. But in their world today, that's unheard of. And quite honestly, it's, for most of us adults, we don't see that very much anymore. And so I would just say to you, one of the great things you can do for a young person today is write them a handwritten thank you note and express gratitude to them for them. Even put it in the mail. Now, if it could get delivered um, and they get it, that would even be more awesome for a young person to even get something in the mail. So anyway, just keep that in mind. One of the, the third thing that science has proven that gratitude does for us is it improves sleep quality. Now, we live in a culture that is always concerned about sleep, and you know people have all kinds of sleep issues today. But in um, the Journal of Psychosomatic Research, in 2009 did a study that, that, that those who expressed gratitude often slept um, better and they would sleep longer than those who did not. They followed that up in 2013 with another study on gratitude and found that those um, who were grateful before they went to sleep went to sleep faster than other people. Now, just stop and think about this a little bit. This is really common sense. You don't really need a researcher to tell you this. If you're going to bed cranky and upset about all the tensions of your day, how likely is it you're going to drift right off to sleep? Not incredibly so. If you're stopping, if you're actually thinking about something to be grateful for, about your day, and you set your mind at ease because of a thankful spirit, that's going to just set you right in the pattern for going to sleep more quickly. Pretty common stuff there. And so some have suggested that it is wise for us, even right before we go to bed, to actually have a notepad by our bed, not to necessarily take notes you know, of the things you think of during the middle of the night, but to write down, just before you go to bed, something, up to three things at least, um, that you're thankful for that happened during that day if you want to go to sleep easier, to be thankful right before you go to bed. A fourth thing that science says gratitude does is it increases self-esteem. Now, isn't that interesting? You build self-esteem by being thankful to someone else for someone else, thankful to God for what he has done. Instead of just building up the person, creating pride, you build self-esteem by an outward focus of gratitude. The Journal of Applied Sports Psychology found that athletes who expressed appreciation to their coaches six months later were healthier 
um, athletes in terms of their own self-esteem than those who did not. Again, this you know probably doesn't take a researcher to figure this one out either. But if we can encourage gratitude in our young people, it will actually improve their self-esteem. Um, here's another one. The fifth one. Science says that gratitude increases compassion. Also stands to reason uh, in the Journal of Psycho, uh, Psychological Science found that those who expressed gratitude were more likely to help other people out. There's another study done in 2012 um, where science found that gratitude lowers aggression and anger. Now, that also is fairly logical. You don't have to stop and think about that, but science has proven that that to be the truth. Um, you can look around our world today, right now on the news. You can go down to Cannonball. Um, you can uh, look on the news anywhere, and we can see all the protests and all the riots that are happening around the country. Gratitude would fix a lot of that. <laughs> Quite honestly, um, by and large, many of these protesters are thankful for nothing. They are upset about everything and they think they deserve everything. But there is no gratitude anywhere in their life. And they have just become an angry mob of people. Because they're not thankful for anything they have and they think they deserve everything. Whatever they don't have, they think they deserve. So thankfulness decreases anger and aggression in our life. Here's the, the sixth thing that science has proven that gratitude does. In a 2006 study in the Journal of Behavioral Research and Therapy, scientists found that Vietnam War veterans with high levels of gratitude were much more resilient and handled their PSTD um, much easier. Thanksgiving um, is something that reminds us that um, gratitude increases our resilience and our ability to deal with the stresses in our life. Thanksgiving was sprouted in times of difficulty, in tough times. Stop and think about the pilgrims. 1621. The pilgrims that year dug seven times more graves than they made huts. Let that sink in. And how did, what kind of a celebration did they decide to have? What kind of a, a gathering did they decide to have? A Thanksgiving one that lasted for three days. With 90 Native Americans and 53 pilgrims present. And they celebrated Thanksgiving to God for three days in a year where they buried seven times more people than they built huts. That's an amazing stat. Gratitude enables us to deal with the crises that come along in life. Abraham Lincoln declared the national day of praise and thanksgiving that you and I celebrate today in 1863. When? Right during the hardest 
darkest days of the Civil War. Again, gratitude enables us to deal with the crises and the difficult things that come along in life. Then there were questions about what day it was going to be celebrated and all of that, and and Franklin Delano Roosevelt was the one that established it right during the middle of World War II, or at the beginning for us, in 1941, established that it was going to be the fourth Thursday of November. Paul wrote from the book of Philippians, and where did he write from? Prison. And from prison he wrote this wonderful epistle of joy and thanksgiving to God during dark days that we would have thought were dark days anyway. From prison, from a life of hardships and all kinds of things that Paul endured as an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet listen to these words from Philippians chapter 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, Whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Those are, that's quite a phrase there. That'd be a good passage to memorize. And certainly a good, uh, good passage to put into practice for us. Even just in terms of verse 9 there, you know, whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent or praiseworthy, think about those things. Then we have a lot more to be thankful for. <laughs> when we can start to discipline ourselves to think about those things. W.J. Cameron writes, It is literally true, as the thankless say, that they don't have anything to be thankful for. (laughs) He says, he who sits by the fire, thankless for the fire, is just as if he had no fire. Nothing is possessed save an appreciation of which thankfulness is the indispensable ingredient, but a thankful heart hath a continual feast. I want to just pause there at that quote. That's a, that's a really dramatic, dynamic quote. If we think we have nothing to be thankful for, that's really true. <laughs> because if we experience something and we're not thankful for, we're not really experiencing it. We don't really appreciate, we don't really get to experience anything unless we really stop to appreciate it. Martin Pistorius today experiences communication in a way that you and I do not. 
because he went for so long without the ability to communicate. And he relishes being able to communicate. And there are things that in your life and there are things in my life that we never really experience simply because we don't really appreciate them, value them, and become thankful for them. Urban Meyer is the coach at the Ohio State's Buckeyes, um, and he followed a coach um, who was fired by them, and he took over a team that was very demoralized and defeated, and they had quite a long track record of defeat. And uh, he came in, became their coach, and uh, one of the first things that he did that surprised the whole team and the players and all of that is he told his staff that if he heard them criticize his predecessor, that they would be instantly fired. Then another thing he did is he kept most of the previous coach's staff, even though he had been fired, he kept most of them on board, and he found ways to value in them. um, He found things about them, their high points and their good points, and then he, he said he worked real hard, especially that first year, to learn everything he could about the former coach. Not just to find out all the things he did wrong, but to find out what it was that he did really well so that he could take those things and make sure that they kept doing those things. One of the things, and he's turned the team around and it's doing great if you follow the Ohio State Buckeyes. And, and things are going very well, but really one of the things that if you, if you were to look back and summarize what he was doing there is he was practicing gratitude, even in terms of a former coach that had been fired and in terms of working with his players, in terms of working with his staff and all of that. Gratitude is a choice. It's not just a feeling. It is not um, just something that some of us have and some of us don't. That, you know, God didn't make some of us grateful people and God didn't make some of us cranky people. (laughs) It is a choice. It's also a discipline. It is um, a practice that you and I have to put in our lives. And yes, I I would say that probably for some of us, gratitude comes more naturally than it does for others and that kind of stuff. But nonetheless, it's still a choice. It's still a practice. It's still a discipline that you and I have to put into life. And I've actually been working working on this thing for uh, over a month now of, of even trying to get in the discipline of writing down positive things, things to be thankful for before I go to bed. I probably have accomplished that twice. I'm not making it a habit yet. You know, you're supposed to do something for 30 days before it becomes a habit. So I've got a long ways to go on this. But that's the deal. It is a habit. It is a discipline. It is a choice. It is something that you have to work at. 
So you, um, you, ha- you just have to choose to, to practice and benefit from it. Christopher Harris uh, gives us three instructions for gratitude. And he says, we need to do these three things. He says, we have to be strategic if we're going to be grateful people. He says, we're pretty strategic about other things in life, and so we need to be strategic about Thanksgiving. So you have to plan it. You have to schedule it. And I've been working uh, the last year about being a lot more strategic in my life and just putting things on a, you know, my daily to-do list that, you know, simply don't happen if I don't have that reminder, today you need to do this. Things that, you know, don't become urgent in my life. But they're very important. So I've been working on that. And so we need to be strategic with our Thanksgiving. We need to plan it. We need to schedule it. We also need to be structured with our Thanksgiving. That may mean a journal. It may mean a sticky note or a list of things as you recognize things that you're thankful for. Or maybe you just... Keep a pack of thank you cards somewhere close to you so that you remember to say thank you to young people, to people that have done something for you, those kind of things. You just need to remember to say thank you more often. So you need to be structured about it. And lastly, you need to be sacrificial. Um, That means to be thankful for everything in life, uh, like Urban Meyer taking something that maybe wasn't so good at the time, but trying to find something in there to be thankful for. Um, Paul says, in everything, give thanks. That's 1 Thessalonians 5.18. Back there we saw it in Philippians, and you see it throughout the scriptures. In everything, give thanks. The good, the bad, the ugly. You and I can, again, it's a discipline. It's not that we're every day going to feel like giving thanks because we have those bad days. We even have some ugly days. (laughs) But then we need to be sacrificial about it and in everything give thanks.